following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible with you, let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and from verse 21. It says there, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. Turn to the person beside you and say foolishness. foolishness. To save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block. To Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Oh, praise the Lord. Pat yourself in the chest. Foolish things. Foolish things. <laughs> yes, amen. To shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. To shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world. And the things despised God has chosen. The things that are not. So that he may nullify the things that are. And so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Praise God. Another translation of that Greek word there, foolishness, is actually the word absurd. And so this I always use as a test for when I'm hearing the gospel. If I'm hearing a message, you have to ask yourself, are you hearing something absurd enough to be the gospel? Are you hearing something foolish enough to be the gospel? I was reflecting back on this when I was in Inverness last Sunday about how the Holy Spirit is so gentle in the way that he opens our heart and opens our minds to understand who God is. You know, we often talk about the Holy Spirit being like the wind, and Jesus said that to Nicodemus, didn't he? He said the Holy Spirit's like the wind, and we saw on the day of Pentecost, that wind came like a mighty rushing wind, filled the whole house. But you know that the Holy Spirit can be like the wind that comes from a feather dropping onto the ground can be so gentle. And when you come to realize how gentle God can speak to you, it's then, only then, you begin to realize that God has been speaking to you for years. Holy Spirit's been at work in your life for years. You know, I was um, reflecting back on when I was growing up, really. Looking back now, I can see that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I didn't quite understand. But it's just that every time I was in church and I was under a message about God and Father God, something in me felt that there was something missing from what I was hearing. I, I wasn't really, and I was as gentle as that, you know. So the Holy Spirit can be so gentle. It's like, you know, sometimes you see fishermen who have been fishing for many years can smell when the wind changes. <laughs> I don't know how they do that, but somebody who's experienced can smell rain or can smell just a subtle change and they can pick it up, you know, sometimes even in their bones. And so really, God has calling us to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that you know that you know that you know when something's not right. 
And I just knew that growing up in church sometimes, I heard a message all the time about what God wanted from me. And it was always more. He always wanted more. Every Sunday it was more. More prayer, more sacrifice, more confession, more giving, more, more, more. And something in me, even as a young boy, I thought, there's something missing. There's something missing. Now that was the Holy Spirit. You can't know there's something missing apart from the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes even in days of old when the church fathers began to try and describe God, they found that the easiest way to begin was to... Because every time you tried to put into words what he was like, you limited him. Because the language isn't good. our language is not good enough to describe God. Even the English language. Uh, we, we come a cropper quite a few times. For a start, there's three Greek words for love. We only have one. So our language isn't enough. So they found actually that when they wanted to describe God, it was easier to say what he was not than to say what he was. So I want to actually put that into your spirit this morning, that the Holy Spirit will lead you and there'll be a check in your spirit when you hear something that is not of God. Okay? And so the reason we preach every Sunday about the Good Father is that you will have enough in you of the Word of God to have a check in your spirit when anybody tries to put condemnation on you or tries to measure you or tries to compare one with another or tries to give you the impression that God wants you to do more. Because the whole church is in such a hurry to build a church, they'll want to stir up your flesh. And if your flesh gets stirred up, you can sweat and pound and do a lot of stuff, really, but it's not going to do anything of any lasting good. Works of the flesh only result in boasting, which we read about this morning. Praise God. So, it seemed to me that the God I was hearing about was more interested in my behavior than he was in me, you know. And uh, I think I remember, I mean, there's some children here, and maybe you're, you're this age I was, I remember when I was 10 or 11, and I was thinking to myself, when will I know God? And at that time, I felt, I just knew in my knower, it will be when I have children. When I have children, I never want a child of mine to come to me and say, now, Daddy, you tell me about God, and me saying, I'm sorry, ask somebody else. Something in me as a child knew that, that I couldn't do that. So, and that, now, that was the Holy Spirit. I, I know looking back now, this, it's like your destiny is inside of you. Your future is inside of you, praise God. And so there'll be things there that the Holy Spirit will have planted in you and that you'll know. And so I'm encouraging you to be sensitive. And sometimes in this busy world, I know my biggest enemy to hearing the Holy Spirit is sheer busyness. It's a curse. People have talked about the barrenness of busyness, you know. And so I, I, that's one of the reasons why I put my foot down a lot, as Nicola would tell you, about the whole idea of going back to so many meetings after COVID. I was so blessed during a lockdown. I had time to sit. I had time to hear from God, you know. All those messages that came during lockdown, I just keep putting them out on YouTube round and round. <laughs> but I'm trying to put my foot down not to be dragged back to busyness. Because when you sit and be still and stand in awe of God, it's amazing what you'll hear. Isn't that right? I would encourage you. I hope this is not the only time during the week when you'll set yourself aside to simply hear from God. Because God delight, He has given you a gifting, the ability to hear from Him. Every person here has that ability. You wouldn't be here today if you hadn't that ability to hear from God. It's such a beautiful thing, you know. So, all our religious lives, really, we, we, we sat under messages about how much our Father wanted from us, and it was always more. And the thing that disturbed me growing up was the fact that my daddy, my own earthly father, was better than that. He never asked me for more. In fact, he was always giving to me. And even today, if I go out for a meal with him and I bring him to Bridgen twice a week for his tea, he pays for it. He insists. <laughs> My father always give to me. If you're a mother here today, tell me, do you serve your children or do they serve you? <laughs> 
For the rest of your life, you'll be serving your children. That's what a father does. That's what a mother does. So the idea that Father God was somebody who was demanding more and demanding more just did not sit with me. That was the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to show you, now at this point in our lives, we can look at the scriptures. We can see, in fact, where it actually says that. And it says that really here in the scripture we read this morning. Um, Look at this. Uh, Let me just read this to you. All our religious lives, we've been hearing about what God requires of men, that he requires them to repent, to turn to him and worship him. But that is not the full gospel, you see, because no man can do that if he doesn't know him. And how are we supposed to know this God and stand above him without the Holy Spirit? So we have to be shown. He has to reveal himself to us. God has to reveal himself to us before we can repent and turn on to God, you know. So the good news we have for people is God's done it. He's revealed himself. John wrote that in his gospel. No man has at any time seen God. But this man, Christ, who has come from the bosom of the Father, he's revealed him. Wow. And just to see him is everything. To see him takes down all the strongholds in your mind that said that God's a God who's demanding more from you. God cannot be a God who's demanding more from you when he knows that apart from him you can do nothing. So his whole calling on his life really was to lift our eyes upwards that we would see what sort of God he is, that he is the God who gives everything. And that's why we have Jesus Christ. Christ and him crucified is you and I saying, my God, the God we have is not the God that religion told us. He's not the God who's asking us to do more. He's the God who's given us more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's the God who's never held anything back from us. Christ on that cross, that's a revelation of the Father. My God, what a good Father we have. Look at Christ. Look at him. What a good father we have. Take your breath away. No, I need to see that again and again because that's not the version of the father that this word speaks to me about. And it's not the version of me even this word speaks to me about that always tries to get me to do more. So the gospel does not point us to our giving, but to his giving. And Christ and him crucified shows us that our father in heaven's level of giving is an absurd level of giving. A foolish level of giving. Certainly foolish to men who want it to be reasonable giving. See, reasonable giving in our estimation is, well, if you do something for me, I'll do something for you. You see? So that's a reasonable gospel to men who think that God should reward them for their works. But God says, no, that's not the way it is because I want no man to boast. Praise God. His life for you is to see the Father in spirit and truth. And what you see is that we do not have the Father that earthly religion told us about. We do not have a Father who demands righteousness who demands sanctification who demands that we redeem our lives we have a god who supplied all that now look at the same scripture again i'll show you that look at verse 30 what does it say by whose doing do we find ourselves in christ according to verse 30 let's read it but by his doing you are in christ jesus turn to your neighbor and say his doing It's by his doing I am in Christ Jesus. Now, how can Paul say that? We'll read the rest of that verse 30, and he tells us. Because it says there that far from having a God who's demanding sanctification and demanding righteousness and demanding that you redeem your life through your good behavior, it says here that Christ has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Praise God. So hold on to your hats because this is going to sound very, very absurd. Everything that religion says God demands from you, he has already supplied in Christ. Amen. 
Did you catch that? Everything religion has told you all your life that God demands from you, he has already supplied in Christ. That's the only way you and I can stand in awe of our Father in heaven. Praise God. Now, when we say religion, obviously, in this church, you know, we mean self-effort. We mean that you and your power and your willpower are going to do something for God. Now, you might reply, yeah, Phil, but if that's true, what do we do? If it's all his doing, if that's true, what do we do? Now, if you're asking that question, that's a very good sign that you're sitting under the gospel. Because that's exactly the question they asked when Jesus spoke and the disciples spoke. So I'm going to give you the exact answer Jesus gave to that exact question. But what do we do if we're to do the works of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God. Believe in him who he has sent. That's the work of God. Believe. Believe. And he gives us the power to believe by his Holy Spirit because he reveals himself. So it's the revelation of the Father, my goodness, that we find gives us the power. Faith comes by hearing. That revelation of the goodness of God gives us the power then to be who God declares us to be. Praise God. That's called the foolish gospel. The gospel that does not allow men and women to boast in anyone but Christ. But... And that's why if you're a man or a woman and you're determined to justify yourself by your own works, you're going to be really upset at that gospel. Because sometimes we prefer a gospel that promises more blessings for more effort. That sounds more reasonable, doesn't it? More blessings for more effort. It sounds reasonable to people whose hope has been on themselves. And the reason our hope has been there for so long is because we've sat for so long under teaching that has left our hope on ourselves. Under the old covenant, you see, that was a you first message. If my people will first do this, then I will do that. The new covenant is not a you first message. It's a he first message. We only love him because he first loved us. So despite what you've heard in church all your life, the good news is not that you can save yourself by your doing. You're doing repentance. You're doing spiritual warfare. You're doing obedience. You're doing anything. We read it this morning. We are in Christ because of His doing. That's called the good news. Praise the Lord. Now, this is, comes as a complete shock to our minds because, again, our minds keep saying, yeah, 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 yeah. But what do I do? <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah, but what do I do? What I'm saying to you is when you allow this to hit your heart like a ton of bricks, you will find yourself doing things by His grace. You find yourself doing things out of genuine thanksgiving. Not because you're trying to earn brownie points. Not because I'm trying to be like him or like her. But out of sheer thanksgiving. Out of sheer love. See, then you're graced. That's called a work of the Spirit. So be thee drunk in the Holy Spirit. So what comes out of your mouth, what you do is actually out of thanksgiving. It's pure thanksgiving. If it's not coming out of thanksgiving, then really I'm trying to save myself. And watch out because I'm going to be a pain in the... You know, because I'm going to start comparing myself with you. And I'm going to start trying to do one up on you. And I'm going to start to, and then all these attempts to be really holy, the sweat's going to start to go, you know. And the works of the flesh. And the Bible says, watch out for the works of the flesh, because there, there comes boasting, which leads to division and comparing one with another. And all sorts of manipulation and stuff as people try and make you do something rather than allow the life of Christ to grow. It takes a bit longer, you know. It's lovely to see the snowdrops come up in the time of the season. There are seasons with God, you know. And in my life, I, I got to trust the seed, not my gardening skills. 
And so if you're in the right atmosphere, if you're in a good atmosphere where you're loved and accepted, you're under an atmosphere of the gospel, there'll be things growing in your life that you try to make happen for years. Good behavior, stop that bad habit, must try and do that, must try and do that. Come on, we've all been there for years trying in our willpower to be a better person. All we really needed to see was his view and opinion of us. How good he is to be able to rest in your father's arms, to be able to come into a place. Now we had a wonderful time here praying on Thursday nights and and Robert shared with me this morning, Robert, you found people coming up to you in the supermarket all week and standing there just with people crying before you and sharing their problems. And I find that's because you're full of the Holy Spirit. You have an atmosphere in you of acceptance and that draws people, you see. And that's why one of the most important things to realize is God is not the one who's putting heavy burdens on people. Jesus said, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. All of those people out there are going through terrible trials and tribulations. There's a lot of people on breaking point after two years of COVID, financial problems, war. There are people out there in terrible fear. Now, they're smiling, okay, because I'm fine and you're fine and we're all fine. You can't see beyond that. But sometimes they'll break down and they'll stand there in the supermarket and they'll weep because there's an atmosphere in you that allows them to do that, you see? And God wants that atmosphere to be in the church, as it were, so that people can come in here and just not feel, I've got to put a good face on, I've got to, you know, but actually lay your burdens down. Because this is a place where God says, I know what, you, I don't come to lay one more burden on you, you know? I mean, if you ask a lot of people, why don't they go to church and say, Please, I've got enough problems with guilt as it is. <laughs> you know, I don't need any more guilt and shame. <laughs> I've got problems, you know. So God says, come and lay down your problems in a place really where you're accepted, whether you deal with your problems or not. You see, this is the revelation of the Father. He's so good. Praise God. Let's come back to this. You see, when you're taught all your life that you have to serve God with your obedience and your righteousness and your sanctification, it comes as a bit of a shock to discover that God has actually come to serve you with his now, this was a real stumbling block for the people in Jesus' time. He tried to prepare them. I think this is why this last lesson he taught his disciples was he got down on his knees in front of them to wash the dirty feet. He served them. He tried to prepare them for that moment. He knew it would be difficult. He said to them, he said to them again and again, I have not come to be served, but to serve. He told them, listen, you're not to lord it over people as the Gentiles do. You're to serve through me, you know. And finally, he got down on his feet before the disciples. And he got as far as Peter. And Peter said, must have been from Northern Ireland, never, never. (laughs) You're not washing me. And the Lord just looked at him and said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you can have no part in me. You need to allow me to serve you with my sanctification, my righteousness, my life. You're not going to wash yourself. That's the gospel. Now, that's a humbling thing to come to that point where you're going to give up on the flesh. When you've given up on 30 years of trying to be a good Christian and go to church and do all your right stuff, when you can come to the end of yourself and say, right, I'm not washing myself anymore. I'm going to receive the gospel. I'm going to receive the gift of his sanctification, his life, his obedience, his righteousness. I'm just going to stand in awe of his generosity, you know? And it's, you know, it's hard to get your heart, your head around because it's true. If he's that generous, he really has set us free. Paul says some shocking things in the gospel. He says, against love, there is no law. He says, we're entirely free from the law of performance, you know? And the first thought in your head is, my God, I could just run wild and do what I want. But here's the thing, you see, when you actually hear that, when you actually believe that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm standing here this morning saying, Lord, I want to, I want to believe that more. I want to believe that more. I want to believe that more. I'm still dealing with the effects of religion in my mind. I'm still dealing with the effects of nearly 60 years 
of religiously trying to serve God set me free in my mind, you know. And when that happens, you, you find that you don't want to sort of run around and, and hurt other people. You're in awe of God and you find that you just want to serve Him. Want to, not ought to, want to, praise God. So people sometimes worry about preaching the gospel of grace where people will just throw up and they'll just go and do what they like. Yes, sometimes they will. But you know what? After a while, as the seed grows in them, they will grow up. Amen. You see, you finally get a chance to grow up. You see, take, take the issue of giving sometimes. You could stand here uh, every Sunday and say, well, if you give, God will bless you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God makes the rain, the sun to shine on the godly and the ungodly. You're blessed, praise God. So sometimes you say, oh, that's great, then I'll just, I'll just, I won't bother doing a thing. Yeah, you can do that, absolutely. But you find that as you grow, suddenly this desire in you is to be about your father's business. You, you want to help other people. You want to be with other people. You, you, you care in your heart, really. God, this is amazing, this gospel. Yeah, we, we need to tell people. <laughs> we, 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 you know, we want to do something for God, whatever age you are. And God says, that's lovely. That's lovely. But I'm not demanding that. Oh, I can work for a God like that. That he's my father, not my manager. If I believe he'd love me, even if I never did another thing for him, if I go home now myself and Nicola and close the door and sit at home and never do another thing for the next 40 years, he's not going to love me any less. Yeah. I can serve a God like that. <laughs> Praise God. But more than that, I finally want to talk about a God like that. You know, I finally, I finally want, to, I want to go back to that young boy and, and tell him again, oh, he's better than you ever thought he was. You know, and there are millions of people all over the place that need to hear that. They need to see the church drunk as they were in the day of Pentecost. Need to see us with joy on our faces. Praise God. And they are. I'm looking at you. You are free. You are free. We had a wonderful moment on Thursday night, you know, when we began to acknowledge, we began to acknowledge actually what God was doing in this place in our lives. And, and it's something, suddenly the power of God was in the room. It was like he was saying, yes, yes. I have done a great thing in you. Don't wait for a better day. This is the best day of your lives. I am with you. And if I am with you, who can be against you? So go, for I am with you. Praise God. So don't wait for a better version of you. God has accepted you. The day God accepted you, um, you know, well before the foundation of the world, when he called you, he saw already all the mistakes you'd make. Do you understand that? So everything you've done since the day you stood up in church or give your life to the Lord, he saw everything you've done he still chose you he still chose you praise God because that's what love does love doesn't change his mind love just gives and gives and gives praise God anyway boasting oh boasting the Lord said to Gideon uh, you have too many men in your army <laughs> I need to take some away or else you will boast that you did this in your own power so see God doesn't want us to try and do things in our own power because that's the original lie. That's what got Adam into trouble, isn't it? That he was trying to do things in his own power. That he thought that he could have a power to do that in, you know? Praise God. So Adam and Eve, they, as it were, believed that lie. Uh, that God had not shared all of his life with them. That they had to do something apart from God to be as he is. And believing that lie cut them off from the truth about God. For the truth is that God is life-giving. He's life-giving. He can't be anything else. The Bible says the first Adam was a living soul. The last Adam, Christ, was a life-giving spirit. So I, 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 in the first Adam, I can't give myself life. Nobody here birthed themselves. <laughs> no, I don't think so. 
So I can't birth myself into the life of God. That life has to be given. And that's why God's spirit is here. He's always giving. He's a life-giving spirit. It's such a beautiful thing, praise God. So in Adam, in believing the lie that he could live a by-yourself lie, that condemned us to be trapped in this by-yourself life. I'll say that again. Would Adam believe the lie that he could have a by-himself life to be like God? That trapped the rest of us in this by-yourself life. Now, Adam condemned us to that life. God didn't condemn us to that life. It's not God who condemns. The Bible says God rescued us from that life. He didn't condemn us in that life. We were condemned by Adam in that life, praise God. God's a God who gives himself entirely to us and never stops doing that. And that's why he knew the only way for him to set us free, really, out of this do-it-yourself life was for him to come down and join us in this do-it-yourself life. For when he joins you in your life, you don't have a do-it-yourself life anymore, praise God. When the light comes, the darkness cannot exist, praise God. And that's what Christ came. He came as the bride and he joined us to himself and then your do-it-yourself life just had to go, really, when God joins you to himself. Union overcomes separation. The groom has come to take away uh, his bride, praise God. But 1 Corinthians 13 tells us something else about love. It doesn't just say love never fails, love always gives, love keeps no record of wrongs. It always says that love doesn't force himself on anyone else. Love doesn't force. God loves us and floods us with his light, and he really desires that we would not love our do-it-yourself life more than we would love his life praise God but it says quite clearly that if we're in condemnation if people are in condemnation God does not condemn them Jesus said very clearly I did not come to condemn the world I came to save the world but men stand already in condemnation the condemnation we were brought into by Adam you know let me read that to you it's very important it's John 3 from verse 17 it says this God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Praise God. So that light is flooding and God is so merciful. He makes the light to shine in the darkest of places. I believe that light is shining in every person's life. I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in every person across this world. God makes no distinction, you know. But God still will not refuse, will not take from us our free will, you know. He gives us every chance and every opportunity to be with Him by placing Himself with us, coming into us. But He desires that we would not love our lives more than Him. That we would actually just say, oh my God, I come to the end of my do-it-yourself life. I've made a mess of my life. Praise God. That's why sometimes excellence is a, is a danger. Professionalism is a great danger. When you begin to take pride in, in doing things well, watch out. <laughs> Sometimes excellence actually is the antithesis, really, of the foolishness of the gospel. Sometimes in church we focus on having an excellent service and having excellence and excellence in this and excellence in that. But if you haven't got a foolishness of the message, <laughs> then your faith is in your excellence. It's not in him. Praise God. And so we've got to be very careful of that. I'm very well aware that when I do something over and over again, like preach, I can learn how to do it. I, I can do it without the, you know, that. <laughs> so we've got to be very careful sometimes that we're absolutely always at the time where we're just saying, oh my God, this is so good. I, I, I can't get my head around this. It's so good. I need your Holy Spirit. 
tell me this foolish gospel again because I'm in danger of watering it down and making it sound more reasonable. Shock me again with this gospel. Shock me again with your grace. You know preachers who most believe in the grace grace of God? The ones who are fallen. (laughs) So be aware, praise God, of our weakness apart from him. That he is there and he is our life and he is our strength and he is our joy. And his smile on on us is is just so beautiful. You know, I always think of the, the moment Peter betrayed Jesus. Jesus looked straight at him. And I just know Jesus smiled. And that's what broke Peter. And when you know that in your worst moment, he's smiling on you, it will break you. And you'll say, I can't live without that. That's my life. That's my life. I find who I am in him. Because if I don't find who I am in him, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to be somebody. What a waste of a life to spend a life trying to be someone rather than living in the day you're in. The greatest gift to the church is to be able to live in the day we're in. Give us today our daily bread. Live in the day. In heaven, there is only one day. It's an eternal day. And so for the church, for us to live in the heavenly realm, you just got to live in this one day. You know, it's a beautiful thing. So what the gospel is saying is God is so good that he decided to give you everything before you had a chance to earn it, you know. And that's what that lovely scripture uh, speaks about in Romans where it says that God died for us while we were still helpless. For at just the right time, Christ died for us while we were still sinners, you see. It's very important that God died for us when we were helpless because if he died for us in any other time, you and I would have taken that and said, there we go, we earned it. It's very important that God found us and gave to us everything he had at the worst moment of our lives. What was the worst moment for humanity? What was the worst thing that this mankind have ever done? Surely it was to take the innocent one and crucify him. Our own God and crucify him on a cross. That was the worst moment, the darkest moment of mankind. And that was the moment God chose to give us everything. You see? And if you'll see that, you'll be set free from religion for the rest of your life. You'll see this is a God who gives to me on my worst day, the same as he gives to me on my best day. Now I don't have to hide anymore behind religion. You see, the gospel of grace will expose your heart. <laughs> because he'll take away every bit of judgment and then says, now, do what you want. That's frightening. <laughs> That's frightening. Do what you want. Now you discover what your heart really wants. You think, oh God, help me. God help me. Show me your face again. Let me, see how, let me see who I am. If I know who I am, I'll know what to do. Praise God. A mother always knows what to do. Put the baby in her arms, she knows what to do, you know. When we have the Holy Spirit showing us who we are, we'll know what to do. We'll be graced to do it. There's no sweat, you know. Remember the priests in the temple were told not to wear certain garments because there was no sweating. Remember when the temple was built, there wasn't to be the sound of a human tool on the temple. Remember that? There was no sound of chiseling, no sound of hammering. All the blocks were to be pre-cut and then brought and quietly slipped into place. That's a a sign of the way the body of Christ works when everybody's in their gifting. There's no grating or grinding or sweating or fighting, whatever. It's just a family together, everybody knowing their place, everybody knowing that nobody's place is more than anybody else's place, everybody moving together as a body. Only the Holy Spirit can do that, you know? And I believe he's, there's more of a release to do that when we simply preach the gospel week by week by week. We keep directing our attention to how good he is. It's such a beautiful thing. Praise God. 
So what are we saying today? It's like the absurdness of the message. What a foolish gospel, you know? It's much more reasonable for men to look for a gospel that will give them a reward because then I can boast, you see. But Paul said it like this, we're saved by grace through faith and this not of ourselves. It's not of works. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God lest any man should boast. We all boast. Boasting is an attempt to find life in yourself. Every person here boasting. Anybody done any good boasting this week? Find yourself in a conversation. Somebody's talking about their children. So you talk about your children. <laughs> we all do it, don't we? It's like we're trying to cover ourselves up, you know. It's just a sign of sometimes a lack of revelation. When Jesus got down and, and he washed those dirty feet, he didn't have to boast. He knew who he was. He knew what he'd been given. When you as believers, when we know what we have and where we, who we are and what we've been given, we're the richest people in the world. We're the richest people. We don't need this word to tell us who we are. Yeah. We have the Holy Spirit for that. It's such a beautiful thing. And so that's, that, that, that's, that's the revelation of His grace that transforms us from the inside out. It's such a beautiful thing. And that's what's happening in our lives right now. You know, as we're telling each other this beautiful gospel, it's lovely to hear testimonies of stuff dropping off people. Just drop things, maybe habits and things you've struggled with. They'll, they'll just drop off as you grow, praise God. Uh, it's a wonderful atmosphere. It's an atmosphere of acceptance, and it's an atmosphere that the world needs. So it's wonderful that our hope now is not to get people into this building, but it's to be filled with such an atmosphere of acceptance that people in the supermarket will come up to you and they'll share their hearts. And in that moment, you will know there, but for the grace of God go I. And out of you will come acceptance and affirmation and encouragement, exhortation, edification, all the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because you know you've been accepted. And you know you haven't been condemned. You're not going to condemn anybody else. And that's how the river of life flows out of this place, down the steps, out across the car park and into this city. Praise God. We have good news for this city. God is not the one who's condemned us. God is the one who loves us. And he is giving, not only has given, he just gives and gives and gives. He's a life-giving spirit. And when that life-giving spirit gets going in us, we just want to give joy, give thanksgiving. Just give, give of our lives. Praise God. Because it's him and us, you know. Never, never give out of guilt. Never let anybody manipulate you or try and get you to or shame you or guilt trip you. Anybody been guilt tri tripped? Anybody ever been guilt tripped in church? No, never have. <laughs> no. So have your radar up, praise God, when, when people are trying to do that. It's a beautiful thing. Just to know that you're accepted. To know that you're accepted. At the right time, he gave himself to us. At the right time, the right time was when we were helpless. So, you want that time back again? Then admit the truth. Apart from him, we're helpless. But we're not apart from him. That's the good news. Praise God. Mm -hmm.